Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Dave. So Dave, if you can tell me when and where you were born, and if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. You're on parade. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for having me today. I really enjoy your podcast and what you're, what you're doing uh, for mental health. Uh, I grew up in a town called Delaware, Ohio, which is uh, in the center of the state of Ohio. Uh, small farm. Well, at that point in time, it was a smaller sort of county seat, uh, farming community. It has since uh, become a northern suburb of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, but a uh, great place to grow up. Uh, my my brother and I, I have a, a brother that's two years younger than I, both grew up, played a lot of sports there. Uh, we we attended uh, the same schools. We went to an elementary school, Smith, uh, middle school, Willis, and then Hayes Day School, which was named uh, for one of the presidents of the United States, Rutherford B. Hayes, who was also born uh, in Delaware, Ohio. Um, as a kid, uh, and I don't know about you, but as a kid, I loved reading about military history. Uh, I loved to read uh, and would go to the library and check out uh, tons of books on World War II history. And I think I probably read just about every book the Delaware County Public Library had on on World War II. Uh, and that sort of uh, eventually led me uh, into the Army. But I think I'm sort of getting ahead on the story there, uh, because I know you like to dig into to this piece uh, see a little bit more about me. Yeah, I do. Um, so, born in Delaware. So what was it like? What was the area that you grew up in like? What was what was your house? What was your street like? Yes. Um, so, so the town's about 30,000 people. Uh, there's a small uh, college in town. Uh, my, uh, uh, a group of friends, uh, I was, uh, always kind of the smart kid, uh, in school. And I tried to play sports as a way to, to be cool and, uh, fit in with the, with the rec crowd. Uh, so, uh, grew up playing, uh, American football, uh, also, uh, some soccer, uh, tennis, uh, and baseball and did a little bit of wrestling, uh, when there was a, there was a good coach that I liked. Um, but the, what, um, what position yep. did you play in American football? Or, or did you uh, just I was, around and... <laughs> yeah, uh, I played uh, guard and linebacker. Um, uh, I am only 5'11 uh, and weigh right now about 190 pounds, uh, but I tended to make up for, for soccer. Uh, I played uh, goalie um, and right. baseball played outfield. Uh, and, and, uh, tennis, uh, played both singles and doubles. Yeah. So uh, I played a little bit of American football. I was, uh, either dropped in a defensive end or, uh, I was a right line banker. Okay. Right did you grow up playing back, rugby? Was, I did. I played a, I played an awful lot of rugby. <laughs> <laughs> right from, from being a, a saucepan lead in, in secondary school, we, we started there. And um, I played rugby on and off pretty much all my life. Um, I was a scrum okay. half, gobby little okay. one as well. <laughs> they they so, introduced yeah, There's uh, a big difference rugby. between American football and rugby. Um, yes, yes. Uh, I think they, because you've got all the pads on, you, you're probably going a little bit harder than you do with rugby, but it's, it's, it's a whole, whole world of difference. Um, yes. Just the, just the way it's played. So, yeah, I played both, so. <laughs> West, I, I eventually, for college, I attended West Point, uh, and West Point introduced rugby as an intramural sport uh, my senior year, uh, and I played it, and I enjoyed oh, the heck out of it. You get you get ahead of yourself. <laughs> we haven't got. I know, I know, I know, but it, but but we're talking sports. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, 
So it's a lot so of let's, fun. Let's have a look at the area that you grew up in. It's a small town, thirty thousand. Um, was it like the sort of the normal sort of leafy lanes that you get, big wide streets with sort of um, houses down either side and and kids riding down on these bike frame uh, newspapers at every house. Yeah, well, uh, actually, that's kind of funny. I had two different newspaper routes. I had the the there was a local paper, uh, the Delaware Gazette, which was delivered in the afternoon. I had a, a paper route with that, uh, and then eventually took over uh, uh, the morning paper, which was the Columbus Dispatch, uh, and would get up in the morning and uh, go go deliver that uh, on my bike. Uh, the house we lived in was close enough that I walked or rode my bike. Uh, to elementary, middle, and high school, um, and so big, big, like you said, lots of uh, maple trees and oak trees, um, and then outside of town, it was a farmland. Um, uh, with uh, you know, once you got outside of town, there were you know corn and wheat and and stuff. And my dad was just here uh, a couple of days ago, and he said that they the. Uh, one of the big farms right on the outskirts of town just sold and they're developing it into houses uh, now. But it, it had been, it had been literally, you know, you drive right out of the city limits and uh, there's this huge, uh, you know, cornfields and and stuff right outside of town. Uh, it's now going to be houses. Wow. So I guess that's, that's, that's like everywhere that's, that has to build houses because the population's not getting slightly larger. Right. Right. One of the things my my town is famous for is uh, a horse race called the Little Brown Jug. It was for Pacers, which is where you have the horse with the sulky uh, behind it. And it was part of the triple crown of uh, pacing. Uh, So it's sort of like the Kentucky Derby, but the Kentucky Derby for pacing. Uh, And that happened every September. And we would always get the Thursday uh, out of school uh, to go. Uh, you know, you could go to the fair or go to the horse race or whatever. Um, and that's still, that's still going on. So the town is famous for the little, the little brown jug. Didn't uh, Glenn Miller sing that? Is that where it came from? Uh, I did I'm not know sure that. I'm sure he sang that uh, song called a little, little brown jug. I'm sure yeah. it was a Glenn Miller song. Okay. Right. Well, I'll have to look that up after we get off. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably where it was made famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, middle school, moving on up. What was your middle school like? Uh, so there was only one middle school in town. Uh, my class was about two hundred and seventy kids, um, and uh, I enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, English and uh, history uh, while in school Uh, in seventh grade uh, was the first time that you could uh, play sports uh, for the school. And and we had a a football team that went uh, five and two uh, that year, which was a lot of fun. Um, And then in eighth grade, the the team went six Oh and one. So um, was, was a lot of fun uh, doing that. Uh, not much remarkable about the the middle school. Um, you know, just uh, sort of what I consider an average uh, average American middle school. So, what was your favorite subject? What was the one that you you couldn't wait to get up for in the morning? Uh, so I, I always loved history, uh, and I loved reading. Uh, those two were, were definitely the, the, the ones that I, that I really enjoyed. Um, so what was the one that you didn't want to get up for in the morning? What was the one you didn't <laughs> want to go into school for? Uh, you know, I, I was a good student. And so getting me up in the morning to go to school was, was, was not, not tough. Um, Later on, and sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but when it's, once I get to high school, I struggle a little bit with calculus, and so I would have to say, uh, calculus uh, was uh, was <laughs> my nemesis. <laughs> which, which, which you you may find this funny, but both of, both of my parents were math majors in college, and 
Clearly it was not rubble. genetic. <laughs> yeah, clearly it wasn't genetic. Terrific. So do you have any real sort of fond memories of your middle school? Um, the group of guys uh, that I p- played football with uh, uh, stayed together um, to fast forward a little bit um, into high school. We were the first team in about 20 years to have a winning record our senior senior season. We went eight and two, almost made the, the state playoffs. Um, and we actually, 20 years later, got recognized. Uh, they brought us back and we we got recognized at the halftime of a of a of another football game um but those that group of guys um and i'm i'm sure is 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 the group that you play rugby with um you know some of those guys have already passed away uh some of them have had you know we all went our different directions some of us went uh you, you know one way others went uh, the other way um and so uh it was a that winning season and the fact that the community came behind us and everything was, was an incredibly fond memory from, from high school. Um, and that group of, of guys that I bonded with over, you know, from, cause we all played together from seventh grade all the way up to senior year um, was, was one of those special moments uh, from growing up. So let's look at your high school then. So did you have a, a high school sweetheart? Uh, in a jock and all that. <laughs> uh, I, I had several girls that I dated, but there was no sort of one, one special girl. Um, so uh, nothing, no, nothing, nothing too, too, too interesting there. So your high school, your, your your final year, then how was that? Did you did you pass everything with honors, or um, did you did you sort of just about get through it, or <laughs> what was your what was the end like? <laughs> Obviously, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, I had straight A's, and I was uh, in line. Uh, I was in competition to be the valedictorian. Uh, until I hit calculus and I got some B's in calculus. And so that, that took me out of the, that took me out of the running. Um, so oh like I said, I, I was a great student. Uh, I ran for student council president that year. I got beat, uh, in the election. Um, I, had, uh, spent the summer, uh, the summer between junior year, junior year, uh, at, at a college, uh, taking two college classes, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was ready to make the transition, uh, to go to, go to college. Um, you know, for teenagers in my, in my hometown, there was not a whole lot to do. Uh, we tended to get in cars and drive up and down the main drag, which was Sandusky. It's about two miles from one end to the other end. There was a McDonald's at one end and you would go to the parking lot and the McDonald's and hang out and talk to folks and maybe go in and get McDonald's. And then you get back in the car and drive around and you try to figure out where you could go get, uh, you could go buy beer illegally uh, and uh, go, go drink alcohol uh, and not get caught. And so that was sort of, that was sort of the highlight. Um, You know, my parents would, they'd let me take the car out and, uh, my dad would always give me grief about how many miles I on the car uh, on a Friday night because all we were doing was driving up and down the main drag and you know driving around to people's houses and stuff like that. And so, um, but those were you know fond memories and and you know we we had a good time doing it. We'd go to the movies. Uh, there were a couple movie theaters in town. Always love going to movies and watching movies um, and. and it was a good place to grow up. Hmm. So what was your, your, your prom like? Did you go to the prom? I did. Prom, uh, I went to the senior prom. Um, you know, it, <laughs> I actually had to put it on. Uh, I was a code. I was the co-director of the prom along uh, with, uh, with Julie and she and I put the prom together uh, so it was a little bit stressful. 
you know, having to organize it and decorate it and do all the all the work uh, to put the prom together. Uh, but I, I enjoyed working with Julie and, and, uh, it, that, that was a good part of the experience. Hmm. So did it all go off like clockwork? Seemed like everybody had a good time. Uh, at that point in time, I guess, uh, I had applied, uh, and got into West Point. And so, uh, for me, at least, if, if the clock was ticking uh, before I had to report to West Point, and I I knew it was not going to be a fun summer, uh, getting yelled at it at at West Point as a as a plebe, and so uh, you know there was there was a bit of a sense of urgency. Um, the other uh, funny thing was the the running joke in my family was that there was going to be uh, less rules at West Point than there was underneath my mom. Um, uh, and, and so my parents did, uh, the last semester sort of, you know, the, the curfew got relaxed and, and a few of the things got relaxed when they knew, uh, you know, at mid June, I was going to hit and go to West Point. And so there were a few things that were relaxed. We had some great graduation parties. I remember one night, you know, we were sort of ran all over town with all my friends and went from party to party and a bunch of them came over to my house and, and slept and we got up and all ate breakfast together and had, had a good time, uh, you know, enjoying our last moments as, as, as high school seniors. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, let's have a look at West Point. So that's the, the Chappie factory for the American army. Bit like, right. bit like our Sandhurst. Right. Uh, like Sandhurst, but uh, Sandhurst you, know, you guys go factory. Yeah. You guys go to college first and get, get to enjoy college and then you go to Sandhurst. Uh, we pull it all together at the same time. So uh, as we like to joke, my my West Point classmates, and I tend to be closer to my West Point classmates than I was to my high school classmates just because uh, I bounced around the army for 20, 24 years and it's tough to keep up with the high school crowd, uh, doing yeah. that. Um, but we, we, you know, the, the joke, uh, was, you know, West Point's a great place to be from, not to be at, uh, because, uh, there were a lot of rules, uh, at West Point. It was not the, the quote unquote real college experience, uh, and, mm. uh, a lot of discipline, um, I tell folks, you know, I, I slept through one class uh, my entire four years at West Point. Uh, it was a French class sophomore year. Uh, I ended up having to walk. So if you get if you get punished at West Point, uh, you get what's called first demerits and then you get hours. Hours, uh, you have to get dressed up in your dress uniform. You get inspected and you have to walk back and forth basically across this big parking lot. Uh, and you can do two hours on a Friday and three hours on a Saturday in order to work your punishment uh, off. And you want to talk about time moving slow. <laughs> I, I am I am convinced that time does not move any slower than when you're marching back and forth in your uniform, uh, you know, these hot wool uniform, dress uniforms yeah. uh, with your rifle. And there's a big clock on, at the side of the parking lot. And you're like, ah, it does not Did, move. You don't uh, call that a drill all. square. Right. Right. Not a drill, drill square, is it? Uh, well, it was sort of, uh, it was in between the barracks. And so it was this big, uh, you know, sort of atrium or, or, uh, you know, parking lot, uh, kind of thing, but you basically walked from one, you know, you, you had to do an about face at each barracks. So you could walk. I used to know how many steps it was across, uh, back and forth because, uh, <laughs> uh I got a, I got an opportunity to walk a few hours, uh, while I was at, at West Point. But anyway, I got four hours for sleeping through French class and uh, had to yeah. had to walk back and forth for four hours <laughs> for sleeping through French class. So um, tell us a little bit about the, the regime, the, the training regime at West Point. So you come in as a, a freshman in the first year. And what's the first uh, the first semester like? Yeah, so you actually come in in the summer and they do what's called cadet basic training, which is is supposed to be equivalent to any Army's uh, basic training. You know, you introduced uh, 
uh, marching and, and marksmanship and uh, how to wear your uniform properly and customs and courtesies and all those other things that happen in every, every professional army. Uh, and then uh, in mid-August, you get thrown into not only having to do that and the plebes are the which are which is the name for freshmen at at West Point uh, sort of make they have all these additional duties that makes the the corps cadets run like we had to deliver you could send laundry out to a laundry service uh, but the, the the freshmen had to deliver the laundry we had to get up every morning and deliver uh, the New York Times to everybody's doorstep. Uh, you had to deliver mail. There was, you know, all these little things that makes, you know, a military organization run in addition to being a college. Uh, And then you had to study at night and and do intramurals in the afternoon. And, and uh, it was a great experience to learn time management because you had to, you either learned how to manage your time or became overwhelming. uh, And maybe you, you, you opted, opted out. Uh, the attrition rate for my class was about uh, 30% from the day that we, our day or reception day, which is the first day that you report to point uh, to when we graduated um, was about 30% uh, attrition along the way, about 10% leave it the first summer, another 10% leave the first year and uh, 10, you have about 10% more attrition throughout the rest of the other three years. Mm. What's the uh, the main reason for people leaving? Um, I guess the early days, people are getting homesick and that sort of thing, and uh, and it's home- not what they, they thought it was going to be. Yeah, uh, homesick. Uh, you also, uh, up until you go to your first class junior year, you don't owe any service obligation uh, to the United States Army. And so some people decided at that point in time it was time to, you know, time to transfer, uh, time to, to go do something else. Um, I, I think, uh, I would say a lot of it was folks got talked into it, um, by their parents and they weren't wholly invested in doing it for themselves. They either, they like, they like the idea of a free college, uh, they like the idea of going to West Point in this military college, but then the actual doing it was a, li- a bit unpleasant and, um, and it's tough, you know, it takes a little bit of grit and perseverance to, to make it through and, uh, uh, deal with all the stuff that West Point is throwing at you. Hmm. I, I guess it, uh, it, it, <laughs> it is like, uh, any army. It, it, not everybody can do it. It's only special people that can get through it. And right. those special people will never be civvies. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It, it does take a special person. You'll only ever be a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do they work it? Um, what um, branch you're going to go into? Um, do, 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 do you pick what branch you want to go into at the beginning or do they give you uh, choices as you're going through? How does it work? Um, it, at the time that I, that I went through, it was all based on class rank. So the first, the number one person in your class got every option open to them. Uh, and the number, I, I had a, actually a thousand people graduate in my class and the number a thousandth got whatever was left uh, at that point in time. Um, I decided the major professors, uh, two guys that were really influential in me to, for me that were mentors, a guy by the name of Dave Lamb and another guy by the name of Guy LaFaro, uh, had both, both of those guys had been in the 82nd. They, uh, one had gone to Grenada, one had gone to, to Panama. They told great stories about being infantry in the 82nd. And so, um, Dave Lamb, I had had him as a freshman um, and that uh, by having him as a mentor and a role model, uh, it became sort of my goal to graduate high enough that I could go, I could go infantry and I could go to the 82nd uh, airborne division uh, because I wanted to be a para and, and do that. So uh, I had my goal and I focused in on it and the class rank is a combination of your academic standing, your military standing, 
uh, and uh, your uh, physical fitness. And you got grades on each of those and, and they did some sort of weird rhythm and came up with, with your, with your class rank. Hmm. So clearly you managed to, to make the cut then. I, I made the cut and I went to the, the 82nd as a, 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 as a, as a paratrooper in uh, 1994. Okay. So where, where did you can, do your continuations training with the 82nd then? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the, the, the first three years was, was, was pretty special. Uh, we, we graduate from West Point and you have to go to the infantry officers basic course, which is at, uh, used to be called Fort Benning. It's now Fort Moore, uh, Georgia. Uh, and then I went to Ranger school, uh, which is also at, at Fort Benning slash Moore. Uh, and then reported in uh, as a young second lieutenant uh, into the, the 82nd. Uh, my first uh, battalion commander was a guy by the name of uh, Stan McChrystal. You might have uh, heard of him. Um, and uh, was uh, lucky enough to, to get assigned to be the platoon leader for 3rd Platoon Bravo Company, 2nd uh, Battalion, 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment. Uh, and we spent the whole summer training up to invade Haiti. Uh, at that point in time, Haiti, uh, there was uh, some back and forth between President Clinton and the president of Haiti. Uh, and uh, we eventually got to the point where we uh, we went through all the mission rehearsals uh, and uh, did the operations order and we loaded up with live ammo and put our parachutes on and we flew halfway down uh, to jump in to Haiti. My platoon was supposed to jump into the, the Port-au-Prince International Airport uh, and then walk downtown to the presidential palace. Uh, and we were going to occupy the presidential palace and then wait uh, for further, further orders uh, to, to uh, go, go on follow-on missions. Mm. <clears throat> and what happened? Well, uh, there was a negotiation. So, uh, President Carter and Colin Powell, well, former President Carter and Colin Powell flew down to Haiti uh, before, like the day before the planes took off. Uh, they showed the planes taking off from Pope Air Force Base in uh, um, North Carolina. And at that point in time, uh, Cedrus, who was in charge of uh, Haiti, capitulated. I think he got a sweetheart deal to go live in another country uh, with some money. Uh, and they replaced him and we flew halfway down and, and, and turned around and came back. Um, if you remember, uh, the invasion of Panama was called Operation Just Cause, um, which happened in 1989. Uh, so the, our group got together after, after we didn't go and we called it Operation Just About because we just about went to <laughs> combat. <laughs> so what happened after that then? But um, so you get you get back to North Carolina, all disappointed that you didn't get to jump out, or did they make you get out at, for eight hundred feet over well, North Carolina? We, we, got, <laughs> we got out and we kept. Uh, we we were prepared to jump in a second day, and then eventually uh, the 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 powers that be decided that other units were going to go in and do the occupation uh, of Haiti and help do the peaceful transition. Uh, of power. Uh, so we never went, we turned in our live ammo uh, and uh, we were scheduled to go down to Panama. Um, at that point in time, the army still had the jungle operations training center in Panama. And so we loaded up and we flew down uh, to Panama and went through two weeks of uh, jungle training. Um, and then uh, for the rest of the couple of years, we just did uh, training uh, and uh, various parachute jumps and, uh, there was actually a, a huge uh, exercise on uh, uh, Fort Bragg, uh, which was called Purple Dragon, where they brought in the entire uh, British uh, para regiment, uh, including the the because you guys had I think at that point in time there were two jumping battalions and then the Gurkhas, uh, and they brought in all three battalions, and we did this massive jump with uh, the three brigades of the 82nd plus the two battalions at the, Brit, the British Paris and the Gurkhas um, and uh, to, to test interoperability and, and 
and that uh, that was a, a a great exercise to be part of. So working with the British, then. Don't, yeah, don't put me hand up now. I, I, I'm not a great fan of working with the Paris. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's all right to use a sledgehammer to crack a nut, but um, they they don't tend to think. They're not they're not like the uh, the Royal Marines. I, I prefer to work with the Royal Marines. They are thinking man's okay. para. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So yeah, I've had some bad experiences with Paris. They. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll leave them alone. Um, so what happened at the end of that draft? Uh, at the end of that draft, uh, I came back to, to Fort Benning to go to another school, the, the captain's uh, school, uh, and then uh, was sent to Korea for a year. And um, part of it was I, I at that point in time, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to make a career out of the Army. Uh Mentally, I said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing this till it stops being fun." And um, I was not entirely fired up about going to Korea for a year, uh, but I went and I had an incredible time. Uh, I would go running every day uh, out in the the Korean villages and the state parks that were around our base that we were in. Uh, I went skiing. I traveled all over uh, Asia. Uh, it just turned out to be a phenomenal experience. Uh, but I kind of went. Uh, kicking and screaming because I didn't really want to go. I, I didn't really want to go to Korea. So that was as a captain, was it? Yeah, that was as a captain. And I, I unfortunately got Shanghai. Uh, I got uh, as I reported in. A guy knew me, and uh, he was the division G G three or division operations officer, and uh, pulled me in to work on uh, the division uh, operations uh, staff. And so I worked in this underground bunker. Uh, for for a year, making PowerPoint slides for the for the division and and uh, <laughs> helping us uh, stay as ready as possible. But you enjoyed your time there, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great mm-hmm. great time. And then the army had a deal that y- you could pick your follow if you didn't command a company in Korea, and there wasn't gonna. It didn't work out timeline wise for me to take a company in Korea in the year. Uh, the army say you can pick whatever assignment you want on the back end. And so I picked to go back to the 82nd Airborne Division, and uh, which doesn't usually happen in the U.S. Army. Uh, I got to go back to the same regiment that I, I was in uh, before I shifted one battalion over. I had been in 2nd Battalion. I went to 3rd Battalion. Uh, and within... Uh, I think it was a six weeks of, of landing back in the United States. The battalion got alerted uh, to deploy to Kosovo. And we went into Kosovo in uh, late August, early September. The air war was like June of 99. And so uh, August or September, we came in and replaced uh, the battalion that had been part of Task Force Hawk in Albania. Uh, and um, yeah. we're in uh, – at that point in time, it was, it was – well, thing on – it was the town was Yurosovic or Farazai. Yurosovic uh, if you were Serb, Farazai if you were uh, Kosovo Albanian, uh, and we set up there, which was west of Bonsteel, which was the the big U.S. East. I think you guys were you were probably up in Pristina, right? I was at Pristina. Yeah, I was at um, I was with Nineteen Brigade at the time. Um, we were at the the old university building. And okay. My role at the time was um, psychological operations. Um, our main focus was um, the village of Gratzenitsa, <clears throat> uh, which was a Serb enclave, and Kosovo uh, okay. and, and to try and provide safe routes for them and one thing or another. But I got to travel around an awful lot. So I was in, um, I came down to Bonsteel quite regular, um, working with yeah. the, I think with Four Pog um, okay. guys there. And went out to Jelani um, on a couple of occasions. Um, and then the, the, I worked with the Italians, the Spanish, the, the, the French, the Russians. It's the only place I didn't enjoy lunch, <laughs> the Russians. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how those guys eat it every day, disgusting stuff. Yeah, no fun at all there. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I got to travel around 
And I was there for, uh, from um, November, back end of November 99 through to um, beginning of September 2000. So I did pretty much almost a year there. Had a good yeah. time. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, you and I might have crossed paths at that point in time. You never know. Right, right. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly out there at, a, at the same time. Well, one of the more interesting so things that I did. In Kosovo? Um, so uh, got done with Kosovo, came back, took uh, company command. I had Charlie Company 304 um, and uh, really had a, uh, had a great time as a company commander um, because I was. Is that as a major or a captain? Back at the same place at. Uh, it, uh, captain in the U.S. When he, uh, on an independent company deployment uh, to to Fort Pickett, Virginia, uh, the company got selected to go to uh, Argentina as part of a Southcom exercise. Uh, we trained up another unit to go to Kosovo, um, and then 9/11 happened. Uh, and 9/11 happened. I was at the tail end of my company command. Uh, I had uh, I had. 9-11 happened and I did about two more months of company command. And then I went to Bosnia on a, as an individual tasking uh, to work in S4 uh, headquarters. Um, and so was there uh, in, in Sarajevo at Bootner um, and got to go all around the country. Uh, we did some operations uh, against uh, the, the PIFWICs, the people formerly indicted for war crimes uh, did some yeah. counterterrorism operations. Uh, it was really a, 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 a neat experience uh, in the post 9-11 uh, environment. Um, and then when that was done, uh, I got uh, asked to go to the 101st uh, Airborne Division, which is at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, and rolled right into the invasion of Iraq in uh <laughs> In 2003. I bet that hurt, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for a guy that, uh, you know, uh, I, I know you went to Northern Ireland early in your time uh, in, in the Army, so you sort of got that combat experience in uh, early. Um, for a guy that, you know, almost did the invasion of Haiti, uh, it was another you know, eight, nine years until I actually went to, you know, quote unquote combat in the invasion of Iraq in 03. Um, and so, uh, it, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? Cause, uh, you know, I got to way too much combat, uh, and ended up doing almost 41 months, uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan <laughs> over, over a couple of different tours. So, uh, be careful what you wish for. Absolutely. So, how was Iraq for you? What was, uh, what, what you, was know, your the, role? Um, were you um, company commander at that stage? Uh, no, I was uh, actually aide camp uh, to the commanding general of the 101st, which was a, a guy by the name of Dave Petraeus. Uh, and so, I did the evasion yeah, with Petraeus uh, from uh, Kuwait all the way up to Mosul. Um, I I had worked with him in Bosnia as well. And then he was the guy that took me to Fort Campbell. Uh, so I got to see, see a lot and do a lot. I was his bag carrier or horse, horse holder, uh, you know, whatever, whatever uh, term. Uh, clean, clean his boots, press his kit. <laughs> Actually, we, had a, we, had a, we had an enlisted aide that, that took care of that. I had to make sure that he was on time and the schedule and, uh, Anything else, uh, you know, that that he wanted to do uh, was taken care of. But it was a great experience. I I thoroughly enjoyed the guy uh, working for the guy, uh, best boss that I ever worked for. Um, I, I I've been quoted as as saying that Petraeus is the most competitive person on the planet. Uh, I still believe that. Uh, my ex wife would chime in whenever I would tell that story and say, "Well, you're the second most competitive." guy on the planet and <laughs> and so it was a it was a it was a good relationship uh, i still uh stay in touch with him 
he's a great mentor, great friend. Uh, and uh, it, it was one of those good, good experiences. Uh, I'm sure you have, have one of those mentors that, that you get to work with that, that you still think, yeah, think back fondly about. Yeah. So, Afghan then. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I was a battalion commander for, Af- I, I went to Iraq two more times uh, as a battalion S3 operations officer and then a brigade operations officer. Um, and then uh, was, was, was selected to be a company command, or a, sorry, battalion commander of 3rd Battalion 187, uh, which is known as the Iron Rakasans. Uh, we were part of the surge into Afghanistan and we went to Southeast Afghanistan, uh, first to a province called Paktika, uh, province. Uh, and we moved, uh, during the middle of the tour, they brought in another brigade. And so we moved one province to the West. Uh, and I actually, my battalion, uh, worked for the Polish brigade, uh, there in Ghazni province, the second half of the tour, uh, I I don't know what you thought, but I I, I thought the Afghans uh, I I end up with better relationships with the Afghans that I worked with than the Iraqis that I worked with. Uh, Iraqis were more organized than the Afghans, uh, but I had better relationships with the Afghans. I also found that the Taliban uh, would fight longer and harder than the Iraqis uh, that I fought uh, in in Iraq. The the Iraqis would sort of blow up an IED shoot at you a few rounds and then, uh, then skedaddle, uh, that, that, the Afghans or the Taliban would, would hook, would hook and jab, uh, would get in the firefight with you until you brought in a, either a fast mover or, or a helicopter and then they'd break contact. Yeah. yeah I found that. Yeah. They're, they're a tough old bunch, the Afghans, really tough bunch. They are. Yeah. Um, but it's a fascinating country. I found yeah. Afghanistan a lot, a lot more fascinating than I did Iraq. Um, yes, I've quite a bit of um, time and sympathy for the Afghans, particularly now, um, and yeah. after what happened. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bloody tragedy, whichever way Incredibly you look at it. And it, it was it was needless. That, that's the that's the thing. It was, it was needless. They shouldn't have done it. Anyway, yeah. it's happened and. Uh, Unfortunately, um, the, the women and girls of Afghanistan are the ones that are really suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened um, next? What, what, where did uh, you end up after Afghan? Uh, so, so I ended up, um, I eventually came to, back to, to Fort Benning, now, now called Fort Moore, uh, I was, I was lucky enough to be selected for brigade command and I was selected, uh, to be the commander of the airborne and ranger training brigade. And so for two years, I ran, uh, both our airborne school, uh, and, uh, our, our ranger school, uh, and, uh, had the opportunity to, to do that. Um, while I was in charge of, of the ranger school, we did the gender integration of ranger schools for the first women uh, came to Ranger School. Nineteen women uh, came, and three graduated. Uh, since then, there's been another 114 women uh, that graduated from Ranger School. You have about 1,500 guys that graduate every year as well. Uh, but it, yeah. it it's been um, it was a it was an incredibly tough experience. Uh, but it um, I'm I'm proud of how the organization. Uh, responded to it, uh, worked through it, and it is still a success story for the U.S. Army uh, with our with our gender integration. Yeah, I think we've we've pretty much got it with ours as well. I think the the Afghan tours for us particularly, because although they weren't infantry as such, we had female medics going out with uh, infantry. Yeah, and I think that's. That seeing how they work, um, et cetera, et cetera, has made the integration of women into the infantry um, more acceptable. And and I think I think it takes a special sort yeah. of uh, woman anyway to, to 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 want to do it. Yeah, 
Well, the, one of the, the organizations that we looked at uh, as we were getting ready to, to, to do the first class with, with both men and women in Ranger School was we looked at the Canadian infantry who had been integrated since uh, 89 um, and, you know, called on them and, and listened to their experiences and, and saw what, what they had done. I agree with you, uh, you know, about Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, it, 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 the combat was a 360-degree uh, experience. I know at one point in time there had been 66 American women uh, killed uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, and so, you know, the, the women were fighting right alongside uh, the men. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I violated, uh, policy because at, at, at that point in time, you weren't supposed to have women, uh, down in infantry companies. Uh, but I made sure each of my infantry companies who were all stationed, uh, you know, 30 to 40 miles apart, uh, in various parts of Afghanistan all had two women assigned to them, whether they were cooks or medics or, or Intel or, or whatever job that they were in. Mm-hmm they were part of that rifle company because it gave them the capability to, to search, uh, women, uh, when they went on to objectives, yeah. uh, in, in Afghan society. Absolutely. I mean, and that worked very well. I know it worked quite well in, in, in our patrols. So, yeah. yeah. So brigade commander, what yeah. happened next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, so as I as I came out of uh, brigade command, uh, I did one more year in the army, uh, and then decided to make the transition. Um, I'd gone through a divorce. Uh, you know, I'd seen uh, plenty of combat. Uh, my daughter is here in Columbus, Georgia, uh, and I decided that uh, I didn't want to keep moving around uh, for the army, and wanted to to stay here and and uh, be a father and and help help raise her. Um, and so at that point in time, I started working, uh, for another company. Um, and then eventually it led to 2020 when I founded my own company, uh, the five code consulting group, we do executive coaching, uh, some, uh, business consulting, uh, and, and leadership training. Uh, and I've been running my own company for the last three years. I guess you you set it up just as you're going into lockdown, <laughs> right? How right. Uh, I, I I would not recommend uh, standing up your own company on the cusp of uh, uh, of COVID. Uh, it, it I have a newfound respect for small business owners uh, and how uh, you know you know if if you don't have customers coming in the front door, you don't keep the lights on. Uh, I went a whole quarter with a client. Um, you know, and you just got to be out there hustling and, and trying to make it happen and, and, uh, making sales and talk to people and, and trying to help them out, uh, whether it's, it's, it's through a, a, any facet of my business. Um, I think, I know one of the things that I think would be interesting to talk about is mental health during transition. And I know that's one of the, your themes. Uh, and I, yeah. I have I have some ideas on it. I don't think I don't know they're entirely right, but after five years of making the transition out of the army uh, and into now the corporate world and running my own company, uh, I think there's there's some some things that I tell folks that are getting ready to go through this adventure. Yeah, what I found for me personally, I, I finished in um, April 2018. It wasn't until probably 21 that it finally hit me that I, I was having a, one or two little issues. I mean, there, there nothing major, but that's mm-hmm. when it, everything caught up with me. Um, yeah. And that's when I went to see my doctor and he was going to prescribe me antidepressants and uh, so I posted me on to the, the old psychologist and that. Uh, so I declined the the, the drugs um, and went to see the psychologist. Unfortunately for me, they didn't understand the military mindset and how what I'd been through and stuff like that. So I had about uh, about four or five uh, chats with them, and they didn't really help. And it wasn't until I, I was having a chat with some mates about it um, 
that I was able to square it all away. But it, it, it doesn't really hit you until a, a couple of three years after you leave. Because when you're in it, it it's, it's kind of full yeah. on. I spent eight years as a, a welfare officer. My last eight years as a, as a welfare officer in London Central Garrison, um, looking after young blokes and uh, musicians. Um, so, yeah. Having done all the yeah. courses, I recognised that something wasn't right, so I did something about it. Um, and for me, it, it worked. It was it was it was good. I, I managed to square myself away by chatting with peers. And yeah, I think that's a good way about doing it. Well, not to say that the civilians weren't good at what they did, but they they just don't understand what you've been through. And and I think right. that that was a bit of an issue. But well, yeah, there's a couple of things. Yeah, well, there's a, it, you know, the, from my experience, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on. First off, you're you're transitioning out of the army, something at least that was part of my life for 27 years, um, 28, 28 years. Uh, and so you're, you're transitioning out of that. You're starting a new job. You're trying to learn the corporate side for me i was also going through a divorce at that point in time uh so a lot of 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 stuff going on um the thing that i talk to a lot of folks about is hey you've got to you've got to come to grips with what your identity is going to be because your identity was wrapped up in this military thing for you know x number of years uh and that's part of you and that's okay uh but I think you've probably seen the guys that are still on Facebook talking about how, you know, reliving their fondest memories of the, of the army and they haven't, they haven't moved forward. Uh, and so I talked to m my peers that are getting out about, Hey, you've got to, you got to do some really hard work on what your new identity is going to be. Um, and you know, whether, you know, you spend some time thinking about what your personal purpose is going to be or, or just your purpose, uh, I think that's super helpful. Uh, another thing that was super helpful for me was as I transitioned identities, I'd always loved the, uh, the physical fitness aspect of the army. And to me, I was like, Hey, I'm a pro athlete. I get paid, you know, I get paid to work out, uh, cause I'm part <laughs> of the, part of the army. Um, uh, but for me, uh, that was a huge thing in helping me uh, transition identities was I, I got I, I got even more into physical fitness. I competed in triathlons. I'm now uh, doing a bunch of biking, as you can see from the bikes in the back. Uh, and for me, that helped me reestablish a new identity as just Dave the athlete, not Dave the army guy. Uh, as I started to transition and figure out what what what's next. Um, I don't know if that helped you at all. I don't. I, I don't know if you 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 got into physical fitness as you as you transitioned or or not. Uh, actually, I came out broken. <laughs> okay. <laughs> six, six months six months before I was due to leave, I ended up in hospital, and um, yeah, I, <laughs> when I, when I had my pre-release medical because I knew the doctor well, she said, Tim, <laughs> if you weren't leaving. You would be, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I I wouldn't have been able to stay in anyway. Um, I'd have had to apply for my own job, and also it's it's crazy. But yeah, um, yeah. And so so I, I I was broken when I came out. So for me, physical activity is very minimal. I I can just about manage to get out of bed in the morning and then take them up for a walk. Um, some days I struggle to get out of bed. Uh, in the mornings, yeah. but it's something you live with, you, you, something you cope with, and <laughs> when it gets too much, just pop a few pills. <laughs> the old pink, pink pills, <laughs> proof and works wonders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Old, I, <laughs> I think you just saw my, uh, my mutt uh, walk yeah. through. She's she's, uh, she's a big old boy. Yeah, she's a she's a sixty sixty pounds. I don't know how many that is, uh, but uh, she's a boxer lab 
hound dog mix that I got also at the beginning of COVID. It, I was like, uh, I better get a dog now or I'll never get one. <laughs> yeah, so we got we got the uh, RT the ship's cat, who's very famous, um, being rescued of one thing or another, which is a long story. And um, we just got the the hound of Hill Manor, <laughs> Hudson, <laughs> who's, uh, who's a little border terrier and he's a proper terror. Nice. <laughs> nice. And dogs are good too, you know, as, as folks thinking about making yeah. transitions. Uh, it's nice. She gets me out a couple times a day to walk around the block and uh, it's, it's, we've been yeah. good for each other. She, she was a rescue, was not treated well before I got her. And uh, is probably the most timid dog I've ever, ever been around. But uh, she's, we've, we've been, we've both good for each other. Yeah, absolutely. So bring us right up to date. So what, what are you at, at the moment? How's the business going? Business is going really well. Uh, I, I tend to have about five executive coaching clients uh, at any point in time. I can always take on uh, more. Uh, one of my COVID projects was I wrote a book called Grow Your Grit about how to develop your, your grit and perseverance. Uh, that continues uh, to sell uh, well. It's out on Amazon and uh, a couple other sites. Um, and, uh, I do some business consulting, um, where, uh, a company asked me to, I don't know what you guys call it, but, uh, the army calls it the military decision-making process. I transitioned, I translated it into corporate speak. It it is the corporate decision-making process. And this company likes me to come in, uh, and act as their facilitator as they're developing strategic plans. And I love doing that. It's, uh, you know, the same stuff I did as a, as a battalion or a brigade operations officer, helping them sort through and figure out what the best plan is and, and how to pull it all together. Yeah. I, I, I think we call it a seven, uh, seven question estimate. Okay. So it's, it's seven questions and it's an estimate uh, and who's doing what, when and where now, and uh, what do you want to achieve at the end of it? So that's, <laughs> That's the that's yeah. an estimate basically. That's the okay. that's the way that we look at it. Okay. Um, so there you go. Yeah. So I think that brings us to right up to date. So yeah. how can people get hold of your book? Just uh, the book. The books on Amazon. That's probably the easiest place to get it. Um, I have my own website, which is uh, Um um, they can, uh, my emails on there, they can email me, uh, or, or, um, get in touch with me that way. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me there too. Uh, I blog once a week. Uh, like we talked about before this year, uh, I'm doing blog. Uh, once a month I do an update on the war in Ukraine. Um, and every other blog post, is on uh, World War II European Theater of Operations leaders or leadership uh, uh, topics. And today, for instance, uh, I uh, put one out on uh, Major John Howard and the Oxen Bucks uh, landing at Pegasus Bridge uh, as we head towards uh, yeah. June 6th. Yeah. And uh, Lord Lovett came along with, um, what's his name, Millen, one of his... <laughs> play, 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 playing the playing the bagpipes, and then you also had uh, yeah. uh, uh, Pine Coffin uh, was uh, yeah. the guy's last name was it was Lieutenant Colonel Richard Pine yeah. Coffin was one of the first uh, yeah. elements to reach the bridge and and uh, reinforce uh, Howard and the Oxen Bucks there. Absolutely. Well, I don't know Dave, if you've been, been. Have you been? Have you been there to the? to the Pegasus yeah, Museum and Bridge. Yeah, yeah, a couple of times, actually. Um, I've done, it is I've done amazing how... Yeah. It's amazing how close they landed we, the we horses. sailed across the, the, the channel to, to um, Weistrom and spent a week in Weistrom and we did all the, the battlefields and the museums and everything around there. So, yeah, know it quite well. Nice, nice. Thank you very much, Dave. No, thank you for having me, Tim, and thanks for what you're doing uh, to help the, the mental health of folks. That's an absolute pleasure.
The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.